Jeannie Patel-Thompson, international best-selling author, health product formulator, horse listener, earth singer, mother, medicine woman, elephant acolyte, and regenerative farmer. This is the Jeannie Podcast. Today, I'm so happy to be chatting with Ginny Jablonski, who is in full-time practice as a human and animal soul whisperer, running courses, private sessions, and workshops. She had her first near-death experience at three years old, and then emerged from her second near-death experience 11 years ago, able to perceive energy flows and constructs, and able to communicate telepathically with plants, animals, multidimensional beings, and the spirits of those who crossed over. So if you want to go check her out right now, her website is heartofthehorse.us, but we're going to be talking a lot more about everything she's got on offer and various other courses and juicy bits, so stick with us. Ginny, I just want to kick this off. I want to jump right in with you. Let's not waste any time. I will put in the show notes links to other interviews Ginny's done about her near-death experiences. She's done a ton of them. So we're going to, we're going to leapfrog into the juicy bits. So can we start Ginny? I would like to know from your perspective, which you have this incredible perspective with much greater connection and fluency than even the fluent people I know have. And I think it's partly it's because you're so honest and rigorous with yourself. You're such a noble person with everyone, especially yourself, that you've really forced yourself to such a high standard of integrity and clean, like you're just clean. So I would like to know from your perspective, what is the difference between guides and angels? Well, first, thank you so much, Jeannie, for having me on the podcast. I'm really honored to be here, and I'm so grateful that you were also on my podcast. I really loved that and hearing your story as well. And we all have interesting stories to tell every single one of us. That's a very unexpected question from you, and I will answer that as honestly as I can. My sense of guides are beings, possibly soul family possibly other aspects of ourselves that agreed to be our guides in this life. But sometimes we have guides that we invited on board without the counsel, the wise counsel of our higher self. And so sometimes we can get into a bit of a pickle with guides like that. And from my perspective, angels are other aspects of all life in other dimensions that appear to people to be light, that appear in different religious contexts and in religious works throughout history. And they are mentioned because either at that time they were relevant, they were working as guides or part of the human experience on earth and continue to be of interest to people now on spiritual journeys. But my perspective is a little more cosmic, I think, than people who think, oh, humans are the only ones in the universe and God made us and and that's it. I have a bit of a wider perspective from my own experience, and that is that there are many planets that host life, not only in this solar system, galaxy, and beyond. And oftentimes, beings appear to us and we just perceive them to be angels, but they might just be extra dimensional beings. 
Very interesting. So someone can be, if someone says, oh, I take my guidance from my angel. So an angel can also be a guide. Oh, sure. I have a friend that I knew for many, many years. And she constantly talked about a guide that she had that was a particular angel. And one day we were down in Phoenix having lunch and we were just sitting there and her higher self just appeared to me and said, it's time to tell her the truth. And I said, okay, what's the truth? Am I being punked? <laughs> it's time for her to know that she is an infinite being of light. And I, her higher self, have been appearing to her as this angel because she wouldn't have believed that she was an multi-dimensional infinite being of light. And so I appeared to her to be this angelic being. It's really me. It's really her. Can you talk to her about this? So that was a little bit uncomfortable. But after that, every time I talked to her, she was so excited. She was so excited to now know that she was talking to her own soul, her own higher self. And that's really a beautiful place to be on a journey. So this leads me, I was going to get into this later, but let's, let's head into it now. So it's so hard to language these things because from the one perspective, we have different aspects or different representations. So we use words like guides, angels, higher self, blah, blah, blah. But then from the other perspective, all is oneness, right? We're all, we are all part of source. We are all one. So for you who works in this field with clients all day, every day, how do you organize these? How do you reconcile these two paradigms so that you can function in this human world and be useful, but yet still be representative of what you feel is the larger truth? Or, or do you just have to kind of be sometimes working from this paradigm and sometimes working from oneness? And like, how do you tell me how you tell us how you dance with all that? I would love to. That's fascinating. Nobody's ever asked me that. But first, I have to say, during your opening statements about me, you said that I have done a lot of work and that you, I'm very grateful that you perceive me in this way. I wouldn't say that I'm a hundred percent clean because I can come home from the grocery store and have a hitchhiker and nobody knows what tomorrow will bring. But what I would like to say about that is I witnessed so much on my journey seeking answers. I was gifted visions of myself and other experiences, not being kind to people and not being self-aware as well as I was face-to-face -face with people who maybe weren't so kind or weren't so self-aware that were guiding me and I had paid them money. And so I endeavored almost compulsively to really understand myself and to get to a place to shine the light of truth on myself every day, no matter what it was, no matter what crevices or corners of my consciousness had yet to be uncovered. I purposely did that because I wanted to make sure if I ever did bring my abilities to the public, that I could do so with love and with compassion. And from my perspective with integrity, and, and that's what I try to do. But to say that I always was like this would certainly not be the case. It took me a long time to, as you know, to overcome trauma. As for, comp yes, I would have to say compartmentalizing 
but it's never purposeful. It's more that every question almost that is ever asked of me, can you paint something with a broad stroke today? It depends. The answer is always it depends because it always is relative to the soul, to the incarnate being in front of us, whether it's an animal or a person. And it matters what is the context of the conversation and what is the havingness, the ability to have information that isn't just a heuristic, an oversimplification of a paradigm or a perspective that just won't make people too terribly uncomfortable. I can speak from my perspective, and that is, it depends where I express my consciousness as to whether I perceive myself separate from a tree or an animal or yourself. If I am working from a level of consciousness that is, let's say, third or fourth density, and just having a casual conversation with someone, I can be in the world and operate in the world. I don't have a lot of tolerance for that. I don't think I'd like to stay there very long, but it's possible. When I work, it's important to bring through messages at a level of consciousness that the person is able to receive. Because not everybody wants to hear a message about life. Life is hard. It's all about choices. You know, that's the way the yogis answered all of my questions in some sort of very nebulous, esoteric way when I went to temples and was seeking solutions earlier in my life. And that is meant to spur one on a journey, right? But for me, my job, at least I perceive my job to be today, to help people get answers to challenges from a perspective that they have not yet been able to see themselves. So with respect to the oneness, if I access my consciousness at chakras above my head, multiple levels above my head, I can begin to perceive I call it sometimes the 60,000 foot view, or as you would say, we are all one. The interesting thing that I have found, at least for me, is many souls come to this earth to actually experience duality. And you and I have had these conversations to experience what it feels like to believe we are separate or to be in forgetfulness, complete forgetfulness, as I certainly was for the better part of my life. And that when we begin to heal our hearts and heal our trauma and gather up our light and our essence from those lower chakras and bring them up to the heart and then beyond, we then become able to, at will, sometimes not at will, quite honestly, access those higher chakras, higher aspects of us where the consciousness is existing in oneness. And from my perspective, it's not necessarily readily available to those of us, myself included, earlier in life who have shut down their heart so that we are not able to access those chambers of the heart and soul that give us that feeling, that sense, that broader, extraordinarily wise level of context or perspective. When you first emerged from the second near-death experience and you 
had become this multidimensional, able to perceive multidimensionally. Did that happen instantly? Was it like a Kundalini awakening where like at this point you're like a normal kind of in the dark human being and then kaboom, you're multidimensional, you're crossing universes, you're able to be in your home, but yet watching your sister in her home having like, was it just kaboom all at once or did it slowly develop and grow for you? Well, because I was actually dying. I had been on fentanyl for about four years. Some pharmaceuticals, in my experience, some pharmaceuticals as well as alcohol, as well as anger and extreme emotions, including grief, can degrade our auric field. And it is widely known if you talk to people, nurses in hospice, or maybe not so much doctors, but nurses and caregivers in hospice, that toward the end of one's life, we begin to perceive multidimensionally because the veils begin to thin. I have chills talking about this right now. So I did experience in my decline, although I wasn't consciously aware that I was dying, but I had a psychic tell me once, your auric field looks like Swiss cheese. I didn't engage with a psychic on purpose, but somebody who was a psychic sort of wandered into my life and said, oh, by the way, if I were you, I'd get my affairs in order. Are you on narcotic? And I said, yes, I am. And she said, well, your auric field looks like somebody who's about to die. So I really, truly would get my affairs in order. And I was just like, what are you talking about? Now, I didn't understand that at all. So I did once or twice hear my own horse talk to me. And I was also given a vision by my own horse of a time when I was healthier and able to train and be in the round pen with my horse. And I, we used to play with one of those giant balls, you know, bigger than yoga balls that horses play with. And he and I would play and he would kick it around and I would toss it back to him and we would play. And he gave me that vision. And the sense that I got with that was he just loved our partnership and loved playing with me when I was able to do that. That was about two years prior to my near-death experience. So I had a little exposure to that through that decline, but nothing that I understood and nothing that I had any context for. After my near-death experience, it was boom, mm -hmm. immediately slammed into dead people everywhere and plants telling me they needed water or a bigger pot and insects giving me advice and <laughs> stuff like that. So that is what compelled me on my journey. And my understanding about why that happened to me is that during my near-death experience where my soul, the soul that I was born with, that I had my whole life, my conscious experience and the trauma in this life, I was just so wounded, my soul consciously chose to exit at that time. In fact, it tried to at three months old, and I was told, no, you got to go back and do your work, which of course I didn't understand and I didn't do that. And what happened in the near death is that I was gifted another part of my own soul, a pure part of my own soul that had not yet incarnated on earth. And it came to help me, give me a boost, so to speak, help me. And it came with a purpose to wake me up, send me on a healing journey, very circuitous one, and then ask me if I would be willing to share that journey with other people, which is 
how you and I met and what I'm doing now. So that's really fascinating to me because we hear a lot about soul swaps and walk-ins where like one entire soul leaves and one other entire soul comes in. But what you're saying is your soul that you were born with stayed, but a piece of a much higher aspect of your oversoul, <laughs> we're here into the languaging, came and joined you to help. And so now you're kind of like, you're kind of like, just for, for sake of languaging, you're two pieces of the soul in one body instead of just one. Well, my understanding is as of today, and correct me if any, you know, anybody can tell me I'm wrong. I believe I have merged. Right. So it, it was a piece. Most people would use language higher self. I use language like oversoul. The Hindus use language like monad, right? Yeah. From my perspective, all the same thing. The uncorruptible spirit, the Atman, the part of us that exists outside of time on the other side of the veil that is pure. And I was gifted a significant amount of that soul essence. And my job was to heal my own consciousness within my body and gather up all the parts and pieces of me, the fractals of me that had dissociated and had other perspectives about giving life the heave-ho and allowing that higher self part of me to descend into my being as I healed and merge more and more and more. I love that. I love how, you know, that's kind of like, for me, it feels like next level truth where we're getting out of these like really little clearly defined boxes. And we're saying, no, this is actually a lot more organic and it's a lot more, you know, and it can be different for everyone. And, and it really reminds us to each honor our own experience and our own interpretation rather than listening to some expert who's probably parroting some other expert about, no, no, every experience you have has to fit into these boxes. You know, you're either the soul you were born with or you've had a, saw a swap or a walk-in. But what you're saying rings so much as truth because you're like, well, of course, that makes perfect sense. And it's actually a little more evolved. It's more healing. It's more about wholeness than, you know, your first soul going, I can't handle this. I got to leave, bring in another one. No, you're bringing in that aspect because, and we're, we go back to your story about the woman who... The being she was calling her angel was actually her higher self, but having to appear as a separate, different being in order to be accepted. And they kind of are all merging together. It's it's so cool when we start going, let's just open to the wonder. Okay, so that brings me to my next. So we're talking about let's open to the wonder. Let's open to possibilities. But at the same time, we need to have some boundaries, don't we? Well, in my perspective, yes. And I understand that there are people who have the perspective that like attracts like, and, you know, there are a lot of ideas about how we perceive the world and our filters. And let me tell you, I have a PhD in my own filter. So if anybody wants to talk about that and they have six or seven hours, I'd be happy <laughs> to talk about that. But I think it's not necessarily healthy or helpful to project on people that if you see a uh, struggle in the world or you see multidimensional spirits, then you're a person with a negative perspective. I perceive consciousness. 
I perceive souls wherever they exist. And I hear consciousness. And if there's a room with a hundred people in it, and I hear a voice ask me for help, I know exactly which person asked for help. And if I'm in a field of 50 horses, and I hear a horse say something, I can scan the field and find the exact horse that said that and confirm that that exact horse would have said that exact thing. It's about having a refined frequency or energy to communicate with all life and to be able to perceive and to match the frequencies. And I feel like I'm not answering your question, but I hope what I'm saying is valuable. Do you feel like you need to restate the question? No, I feel like you are answering it really well. You're taking it where I was. No, beautiful. I love it. And I totally hear you. And now let's take what you just said and let's pull it down into the practical. I had a woman contact me and she said, oh, my guides have told me this. And so I've, I've taken this action and I'm reaching out to you because I think you're involved and blah, blah. And I just went, this doesn't feel right to me. And so I had also discussed it with you to go, "Mm, something feels off to me. Like, what are you getting on this? And so as a result of that, what I wrote her back was, I said, I would also encourage you to ask your guides about why they chose you and what their interest is. So instead of just saying, oh, these beings are talking to me, so they're my guides and they must be in alignment with my highest good, ask for a little definition. And I said to her, some guides come through to be of service to the human, but others are in service to their own path and journey, and we are then their vehicle. So I think this is something that people don't even think about. They're like, well, this is a multidimensional being who is communicating to me and giving me advice. And obviously they're here to help me. Obviously they're my guide. Like this is miraculous. This is, this is just like an angel. But to have that little, I want to bring forward the importance of saying, no, no, have some discernment because just as we're here in the third dimension, in duality, having experience of life, other beings in other dimensions are also having their experience of life. They're also having a co-creative journey with source energy. So maybe part of what they think would be a really great idea would be to find a human who wants to work with them, but they're not about your pathway and your highest good. They're about what they want to co-create and what they want to experience. And maybe they want to run some experiments to see what happens. And you're like, yes, I'm willing. And they're like, great. So it's not that this is necessarily a negative thing, but it's just a mismatch of because you're not checking, who are my guides? Why have you chosen me? What's your interest here? Like, what what are you thinking? They're just saying, oh, guides, yes, I'll do it. I'll action it without question. So tell me a little bit more about that. And also, do you have any stories that further illustrate that whole concept? Um, Yes, of course. You know, Earth is a difficult place to be, certainly right now. And I think it's been a difficult place for tens of thousands of years. We have a very active astral realm. And we also, as humans, my understanding is we have a lot of unique abilities, not the least of which is our range of emotion and our power, as you said, Jeannie, to co-create or to create our experience, not necessarily individually, our collective reality that we're experiencing, 
but who calls us on the phone, who emails us, what job we get, whether our relationships work out or not, that level of co-creative experiences. And there are souls, beautiful, loving, incredible people that I've met, including myself, in this life who maybe bit off a little bit more than we can chew. And that was certainly my experience. I hope it's safe to say this to everyone. In my experience in this life, I chose to learn some really difficult lessons, which the upbringing of my life and my surroundings and the context within which I lived my life did not support alternative answers or a higher perspective or seeking a higher guidance or inner guidance. And I chose guides who unfortunately were service to self. I did. And I had to find out that some guides actually haven't chosen the path back to oneness, some souls. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> a lot of contrast on earth. There's contrast in the ethers as well. There's contrast, certainly tremendous contrast in the astral realm. And there's even contrast in fourth and fifth density. And when you, I just want to clarify that when you said you chose guides who are in service to self, you mean to their selves, not yours. Correct. Yeah. And when we are in service to self, and I am not obviously an expert on this, it's not really my lane, so I'm just going to blush over this, but my, my perspective on service to self is where our purpose is to get ahead for ourselves. Right. Our journey is what matters. The outcome for me is what matters. Not a lot of compassion for other people's experiences and the level of understanding of how we might all sort of fit together. There's not a lot of compassion for that. And so I had to, on my journey, work with my higher self to revoke those agreements with guides who believed it was their purpose, and maybe it was, to teach me lessons through drama, trauma, self-sabotage, shadow, archetypical experiences. And I had to revoke those agreements and ask my higher self, my oversoul, to assign me new God who would be more appropriate for my journey now, who had compassion for all life, and who were dedicated to the evolution of humanity to each and every one of us reclaiming our power and our sovereignty and creating a space where we are all able to remember the truth of who we are and promote self-awareness as you and I both do. How did you realize that your guides were in service to their own selves and not to you? It was through a series of events that happened to me where if I would heal or release something and remember, I can see energy. Mm -hmm. It's not like I'm pointing fingers. I can just see it in everyone else. I saw it in me first. Yeah. So I would do some intention or release something or work with the healer. After years on my journey, I finally figured out that information wasn't evolution and that all of the information wasn't just entertainment. It was for me to internalize and begin to inquire and work with that part of myself that was offering the wisdom to me, but I had to ask. I had to ask. And when I asked, please help me understand what's happening to me. Where are these thoughts coming from? 
Why is this pattern repeating itself in my relationships? Why am I having a pain in my elbow or my knee? Whatever that looked like. When I began to self-inquire, one day I released something in the morning during a cranial sacral session with a lovely woman. And we had found that I had taken on some energy in the womb from my mother. And I was somewhere in Texas, I think it was Fredericksburg and um, traveling. I used to travel a lot for, for my work and visit horses all across the country. And I packed up my room and I drove down the highway toward Austin, Texas. And as I'm driving, I witnessed the energy come back to me. I pulled off the side of the road. I threw my car in park. I said, what the heck is going on? <laughs> you know, I just released this this morning. Why is it coming back? Please help me understand. And I was shown why. Wow. And it had to do with one of my guides. It really, truly had to do with one of my guides. And my guides, because I immediately, I used to get really mad at my soul in the beginning. I didn't understand what was happening to me. And every single person I went to to try to help me understand what was happening thought they had all the answers and they were right and everybody else was wrong. And I got a lot of confusing information that just made it worse. And I just kept getting more and more upset with my own soul, believing that all of these things that were happening to me were totally guided by my soul and that my soul was responsible for everything uncomfortable that was happening to me. And believe me, the first few years of my journey were extraordinarily uncomfortable. Yeah. Because I was ha having an emergency PhD level education in alternative theories and, and metaphysics. And it wasn't something I ever asked for. I would never ask for it again, to be quite honest. <laughs> and if I knew that I would have to do this much, if I could go back to that moment, I would say, catch me on the next life, I'm out of here. If today if I was put back in that same position, I would say no. I would say no, because not only was it painful, excruciatingly painful, witnessing all the parts of me that were so broken. But it was also excruciatingly painful trying to discuss these visions and perspectives and information with people who were not ready to hear it or who simply didn't want to hear it. And even let's say you had had that experience start now there's been such a shift in consciousness over the last decade. If you had had your near-death experience now with all that development, you would have so much more help. You would have found so many more people who could relate to you and talk to you about what you were going through. Like, we don't understand how much the last decade, or if you look at how much consciousness has shifted in two decades, it's just, it's wow. But I've heard that from a number of people who've had spontaneous Kundalini awakenings or as a result of a near death, you go from zero to full awareness. And it's just, it's brutal. It's, I've heard from every single person how absolutely brutal that is. It's just not an easy path. Oh, I apologize for crying, <laughs> but I, I will share. Um, oh, I'm so sorry. No, let it, um, let it roll, Ginny. It's all good. The wounded little girl in me who never got any validation. No one was ever interested ever in what I had to say. And then of course, all these coping mechanisms were created and managing being willing to martyr myself and take anything on just for a tiny little pat on the back or a pat on the head, right? 
that part of me was with me, gee, until last year, to be honest. From my perspective, it takes a while. We need to heal a lot of what's sitting on top of the fractured, what a psychiatrist would call wounded inner child, what a shaman or a medicine man or an indigenous person might refer to as soul loss, right? To just say, oh, just go to a shaman and do a soul retrieval. <laughs> Let me tell you something. If you're not ready for it, it ain't going to stick. It ain't going to stick because the parts of our consciousness are really driving the bus. And I think that, again, the perspective of human consciousness has been terribly oversimplified in mainstream metaphysics, terribly oversimplified. And it causes one to constantly seek outside ourselves for answers, myself included. And it causes us to often deny, to not, I think, be open to really, truly digging in to find what's going on inside of us. But what I wanted to say about that is I was seeking and I was seeking healing and I was seeking context and I was seeking understanding of what I could perceive and hear and see and feel. But more than that, I was looking for somebody to say, yes, Ginny, what you're seeing is accurate. And when you perceive at a multidimensional level, nobody that doesn't perceive at that level can ever validate you. That's right. And I was seeking that validation. And one time I paid a woman $6,000 to do this advanced. This is further on my journey, five, six years in when I finally, after years, people were beating me over the head. You have to be a healer. You have to give people messages. You have to do this for a living. And I kept saying, no, you don't know. I'm traumatized. My soul tells me, no, no, no. I need to heal, heal, heal. And then maybe I'll put out a shingle. And I did that. And then that's when the animals came into my perspective. And of course, the first thing when the animals started saying, hey, can you help us? I right away said, oh, well, I must, I need training. The human part of me that said, well, I don't know how to do that. So now yeah. I need more training. Now I need to spend another $100,000 on animal stuff. And then what I found out was, Nobody teaches anything about animals the same way. They all believe differently. It's all quite confusing and never really was very reflective of what I perceived. But I had given this woman $6,000 at that point on the journey, which I totally glossed over. And I showed up and she just zeroed in on me the first day, small class of people. She said to me, Ginny, I've had people like you in my class before and they never succeed and they never give any verifiable information. And you're probably not going to come back to the second half of the class. And you're just going to fail like everybody else. And Unbelievable. so today I would get up and say, anybody else in this room who thinks that's a healthy, happy person talking to you right now? And I would leave. But then, which was five years ago, I sat there and I said, if I'm just good enough, I could just prove to her and then she'll see. You know, I was just seeking that that little girl part of me was just seeking someone that I idolized, someone who purported herself to be one way in all of the marketing materials and interviews. But then you get to her house and nothing at all like what you thought you were going to experience. I stayed and it got worse and worse every day. Yeah. Mm. And that's the wounded part of us. And I think there's not enough conscious conversation around how to talk to those parts of ourselves and how to dig into the events that contributed to that perspective. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's kind of, I don't know why we do this as humans. Maybe it all comes from um, lack of self-esteem or, or, or like you said, looking for outside corroboration and validation, but we don't seem to be able to hold in our mind that if someone is put up as a guru of some sort, whether it's in the yogic world or the animal communication world or whatever, yeah, there's a part of them that can and does function at that level where they have good stuff to say and they are maybe channeling information that's really valuable or they're still a human in 3D. And if they haven't dealt with their trauma, if they haven't dealt with their filters, if they haven't gotten themselves, if they're not as rigorous on themselves, and I'm going to say until the day they die, expect that their shit is going to come onto you because it's just impossible. If they were that clear, they wouldn't be here anymore. The fact that we, our vibration, our frequency can still stay here in third dimension for me means, well, there's more work to do. And I've never stopped working on myself. I've never stopped. And like just yesterday, I had an amazing experience where I learned something I had not done before. And you mentioned you were at your craniosacral. So I'm at my osteopath who of course also does craniosacral. And she was working with my head and I said, you know, I've got this ridge in my skull. It's very weird. It's like a Klingon ridge. <laughs> and, but it's mostly on one side. And so as soon as she put her hands there, I went back to myself, to the memory of myself as a baby. And what I had just found out from my mother is she had a bacterial disease while she was pregnant with me that caused her uterus to go mm, just cramped and clamped in and squeezed. And it was incredibly painful for her. But you can imagine for me as the baby inside, people talk about, oh, the womb and I'm free floating. I'm like, there's no free floating in the womb. The womb is horrible. It's this tiny <laughs> trap, little space. And then I was born in 10 minutes. And so I'm going back to these memories and, and I can hear baby Jeannie say, I needed this session two days after I was born. Now all the bones are fused. It's too late. And I went, wait a minute. Let's go back in time. Let's take adult genie and the osteopath back to two day old baby genie and let's work on her. And I said to my osteopath, I said, can we, can we merge some timelines here? Can we now work with baby genie and she was like yeah she'd never done this before but she could immediately feel the ring of truth to it of course we can and so she's now working on my head but i'm now connected to baby genie i'm feeling what baby genie feels i'm seeing her memories and i'm like oh i was the times that i was laid flat in my crib because i couldn't roll over and I would just scream and scream. It wasn't because I thought it was just because I was left alone. No, it's because this whole cervical had collapsed and jammed in, and it was really painful. So then we went and we worked with that. And it was like, and I could feel baby Jeannie going, I'm finally getting the help that I needed, that I never could get, that I was so alone. I was so isolated and no one could understand me and no one. But you know what? This genie can give that to baby genie in a session and give her body work. And now what becomes possible with this adult genie body? Like it's mind blowing. It's so freaking cool. And my osteopath was like, I had no idea that was possible. I'm like, me neither. 
But it was because this path of learning never stops and because the increasing of the vibration and the frequency and someone like you, you're all already able to really move between realities and, and calibrate to different frequency sets. Well, we all have that capability. So let's just keep going and let's not forget that everybody, no matter how far, quote, advanced they are, is still on the path. And there's still going to be some unresolved stuff, some traumas, some filters, even if you get to the point where they're just threads. This is what my herd has shown me. They're like, the more developed and clear, advanced, whatever word you want to use for that coherence, the more you get to that state, the more those tiny threads pop. So for someone else, they've got a big trauma, but they're vibrating at a lower density. So that, that big trauma may affect their life 10%. But for someone who's working at your level, where you've refined, you've come into a state of congruence and coherence that so far you have a one little tiny thread, it's going to affect you 60% because you're oriented towards there. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, I clearly still have something to heal because I was brought to tears earlier. And one of the things that I feel for myself with respect to this is I have so much compassion for people who have suffered and, and experienced these, the sense of unworthiness and the invalidation and the, the soul loss. But yes, self-awareness from my perspective is pulling on these threads or following the threads and being aware enough to, to know that they exist, to have an experience and say, ah, let me follow that thread, whether it's a thought or an emotion or we were triggered by something we saw or something we heard or that same pattern in a relationship over and over, seemingly not being able to make the healthiest choice for ourselves, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay, I want to, I want to jump over. I want to go back to 3D perspective versus multidimensional perspective. I'm wondering if you can talk to us about boundaries and permission from an earth-based 3D perspective, where we live in a world of light and darkness, good and evil, where we want to protect ourselves from negative entities or energies, versus a multidimensional perspective, where negative energies or experiences are drawn to you or will manifest for you for the purpose of your evolution and possibly your healing. So in that way, what you perceive as negative is actually part of your pathway to your highest good. So how do you dance with those two concepts? How do you teach that? Or, or what do you see works for people in terms of dealing with those two, which are really completely different realities? Go, just go, Janie, speak. Well, I would even divide that first one into two. Because from a Western model of self-analysis psychology perspective, there's healthy boundaries you know, that we define, right? Don't let someone hit you. Don't let someone yell at you. Don't let someone denigrate you. Don't allow someone to violate you. All these perspectives of what are healthy boundaries and what are not healthy boundaries. Within our reality, we also have energetic boundaries. And I kind of felt like I wanted to suss those two things apart. Most people, if you are not aware multidimensionally, then you have no clue whether or not you have healthy 
energetic boundaries. And you can intend all day long to have healthy energetic boundaries or say, I don't take on my client's energy or I don't do this or that. But there are many people who can actually perceive our nervous system and our energy construct, our light bodies and luminous architecture. And it's actually the case that all day long, we are at the effect of energies outside of us without being consciously aware of it. And when we feel emotions, it is impossible in that totally separate 3D reality to know the difference between your emotions or my emotions. And I can tell many stories about that of my own experience and clients' experience. But I don't relate at all to the over-intellectualization of habits or personality. I perceive a lot of therapeutic techniques or psychology as mental gymnastics. I don't perceive it as a solutions-based paradigm because I don't live in that paradigm. Part of that paradigm is reprogramming ourselves, learning healthier habits and substituting behavior. And I don't know if you've ever heard me say this before, Jeannie, but what do you think about this? My perspective is if we just unload the junk in the trunk, the wounds and the limiting beliefs that we took on because we perceive the world in a certain way, what will shine through is the compassion and the divine balance and beauty of the soul itself. We don't need to be programmed by a neurolinguistic practitioner. We don't need to be hypnotized. Although all of these things can be very helpful. And so please don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to knock it. I'm trying to express that my perspective is if we pull on enough threads, we're going to wake up one day and we're going to be different. We're going to perceive the world differently. We're going to react to outside stimulus differently. We're going to respond, communicate with our voice differently. We're going to think differently. We're going to hear the things people say differently. Everything, I have full body chills right now. <laughs> Everything about us will be different. We don't need to be programmed to be different. It's in the deprogramming. So I want to jump in here because what I hear you saying is, and correct me. So let's say you're going for a hypnotherapy session as an example. If you go to a hypnotherapist and say, I want you to hypnotize me to stop smoking. That's the thing that's not so productive. If you go to the hypnotherapist and say, can we go looking for the root reason why I smoke? And can we see? Yes. Yeah. Can well, we 100%. See? Exactly. And that's the difference of what you're saying. And so it's, I, I love that you've brought that out because it's about being really intentional with the therapy you go for and with the practitioners you call to help you to say, to get out of that perspective of fixing the symptom and always go for the root. Because like you said, like if you get to the root, you don't need behavior modification. You don't need Nicorette. Like all that stuff will just disappear because you've healed the root. So you just will be that new person. My lane down the center lane is written in big, bold, all caps letters. Know thyself, understand thyself. Try to understand what makes you, you. And when you shine the light of truth on that trauma or that misunderstanding or that unforgiveness and you let it go, 
That's freedom. There, that's where the freedom lies. Not Nobody can program you to love yourself. Yes. And I've watched that happen in a when because I've taken so many trainings. It's not even all on my website. I mean, if people would laugh. I met a woman once. Her CV was the entire front page and second page. It was about 11 point type, two pages of classes. And I'm like, oh, thank God I didn't go that. Because what are we still looking for when we have to have that other thing? We're looking outside of ourselves. We're not able to tap in to the inner guidance and the knowing. Anytime I've ever seen anyone programmed with something to help them behave differently or think or feel differently, it is now in conflict with the cause of what was already inside. So now we have two parts of ourselves fighting against one another, or maybe six instead of five. And it's probably more likely that it's six instead of five than Very. just one or two. Very good point. Very good point that it's, yeah, I love that. The other question I wanted to ask you is when you are working with clients, what do you do? Do you prepare the space? Do you set some permissions and boundaries upon your healing space? And then afterwards, do you do some kind of clearance? Like, because I know a lot of the people who'll be listening to this will be people who do work in sessions with people. And so I always like to, to bring out the different ways of setting those boundaries, setting those parameters for you to be able to do the work that you want to do. Yes, very much. I do both before and after. Sometimes I forget after and, and I come back around and I, okay, let's, you know, see what's going on. I have a template and I teach classes on this. I teach classes on self-awareness and energetic space and energetic self-awareness and for practitioners. Prior to clients, let me see if I can summarize what it's not going to be complete because it can't, it's maybe seven or eight paragraphs. It takes me about 12 to 13 minutes to read it out loud before every client. But let me be clear. I'm not just willy-nilly reading something. Oh, good, it's done. Right. I'm in medit I'm closing my eyes, I'm checking in, I'm watching, I'm seeing, sensing, feeling multidimensionally what's happening as I'm stating. And you do this alone before the client arrives? Before, before the client, yeah. Mm -hmm. Because I found that with the exchange of money in our reality, there are strings attached, there's expectation. Mm -hmm. And um, not only that, but Almost anybody I've ever met, I had a past life with. So the relationship space in between us wasn't always clear. So one of the things I endeavor to do before any client is clear the relationship space. So I won't be triggered by the client and the client won't be triggered by me. That's fascinating. Yes. Yeah, so uh, I'll just sort of blush over and I don't, I purposely don't memorize it. If I just memorize it, I'll just spit it out and it will mean nothing. Yeah, I want it. I want it to be internalized and slow, but it's yeah. my intention is to be of service and to do so in the healthiest, most ethical way that I come to every session knowing nothing and that I am in service to the soul and the oversoul of the person who comes before me that I will not perceive what I choose to perceive. I will not perceive that person's world in the way the world looks to me. 
but that person's energy will be presented in the way that is most beneficial and of priority for the soul that is incarnate in that body. Beautiful. And that if there is any unresolved, unfinished business of the soul between us, I will check in. And if that's true, then I forgive and ask to be forgiven. And I might use the Ho'oponopono real simply just to see if that works. Because a lot of times the Ho'oponopono prayer can heal a lot of stuff. I also talk about not wanting to engage with guides who are service to self or who are not beneficial so that I'm not reading the detritus in the room, that I'm truly talking to the primary soul occupant of their body, not some hitchhiker. So I ask for that with permission, higher self, to clear that away so that I truly can perceive their soul unimpeded. That's um, I say things like, if for whatever reason, by if I am limited in any way and I don't perceive everything completely, that person's healing will not suffer, that I ask my oversoul to work with their oversoul and their healing will be complete and take place with grace and ease. Now, I don't heal people. I don't claim to heal people. You touched on this earlier and I probably got distracted and didn't say that my perspective of healer is someone who helps you remember that you are your own best healer. I provide the messages. I offer things that it would be beneficial to address. And I give languaging and perspective and I can help the person feel and perceive in their body where it might be and help them reclaim their own power and release that themselves. And then I set my own space and every day I talk about that. But that doesn't mean that every day I wake up and my property and my animals are totally clear because we live on earth. So it's something that I do every day. And I, I manage my own energy every day. It's pretty darn comprehensive. And then after the client, I take an inventory. I perceive my own energy. If I went with them to a past life, did I leave any part of myself in that portal in that other timeline? Right. Because that happened to me in the beginning. Many years ago, I left a part of me and I had to, and I realized I was having experiences that were not of this world and I needed to go gather myself and collect myself. And that's something that people really need to learn about on earth because our consciousness is a little more complicated than most people lend credence to. And then I also, if I did take on anything or if my client tried to dump a lot of energy on me, which frankly, it happens to everybody, I gather it up and I ask my oversoul to ask their oversoul, does this need to go back to the person or can it just be politely transmuted or what is the appropriate dispensation of this energy? And sometimes every once in a while, it doesn't happen a lot, but every once in a while, I'll just sort of look around and it's like, a hoarder's palace. <laughs> well, that person tried to dump a lot of stuff on me. And um, parts of us perceive other people as being that savior or maybe more capable to transmute or what have you. And I never know anytime why they did it. I just ask their oversoul to help me sort it out. And then I run my own energy and ground myself and make sure I'm back in my body if I left. I try during my work to be very, very present in my own body and not go traveling. Although every once in a while you do time travel or go to another timeline. Mm -hmm. It's so, so hopefully that helps. No, that's brilliant. And it's, I'm almost wondering though, Ginny, 
if you have to be, so how does this land? The more aware you become and the more you develop your multidimensional abilities, do you then have to become more rigorous? Because I know a lot of people who are, are not, maybe let's say you're, you're working at, let's say on a scale of one to six, you're working at five or six, and there's someone else who's working at three. Maybe they don't have to be as careful as you because if they can't, if they're not going it there to begin with, or they're not existing or perceiving those worlds and those things don't apply. What's your perspective on that? Well, I think they do apply. I think it's whether or not we can perceive it or we understand that we are at the effect of. I'm just going to tell it like it is, and we'll see where it lands with people. If masters exist, they practice every day. Whether you do Kung Fu or Aikido or Wei Wu Wei or Tai Chi or Qigong, these people don't take Sundays off, okay? Masters are truly masters of their own energy. And I had a girlfriend once, very highly placed in an international animal organization. And she said, Jenny, why do you spend so much time clearing your energy and doing this work? Why don't you just have faith that everything's okay? And I said to my friend, because I can see your energy right now and I can tell you it ain't. But if you're at, quote unquote, if there are levels, if you're perceiving at that level, You're not perceiving. We don't know what we don't know. And people are being taught protocols. Mm -hmm. Like my friend, she's being taught protocols. She's not being taught self-awareness, energetic awareness. She's not being taught to interact with consciousness. Maybe use a pendulum. Step one, step two, if then, if then. I have never seen an if then apply in any class I've ever Mm -hmm. taken. Mm Mm-hmm. And I've been in a class once, an animal, quote unquote, healing classes years ago. And this woman started healing a dog. And I said, excuse me, you don't have that dog's permission to do what you're doing. Yes, I do. No, you don't. Can you communicate with animals? No. Did you communicate with this animal? When I was driving here, I told all the dogs that were going to be present today what we were going to do. I said, did you get an answer back? What do you mean? Did the animal give you permission? Because this dog right here has a serious problem with his energy and he doesn't want anybody mucking up and around in his energy because what you're teaching doesn't come close to what he actually needs. So let's address what he actually needs and see if we can get him to the place where he gives you permission. And the owner of the animal withdrew the animal from class and then brought the animal to me later. So I would like to just jump in and say that dog. So she's saying I was on my way there and I told all the dogs, but did the dogs have an opportunity to leave the room and go somewhere else? No, they're stuck there with her. So where's the choice? If she can't hear them say no and they can't physically leave, you know, and this is the same problem with people who do equine assisted therapy. If your horse doesn't have any choice, if your horse can't get, you know, at least a couple acres away, there's no choice happening here. It's interesting though what you say about, no, you don't get a free pass just because you can't perceive those levels or those dimensions because that's one thing I've noticed working with my herd of horses is how rigorous they are on, I'm going to just call it boundaries and permissions about who enters into their space. And I've learned to be, and they will take, if I don't listen to them, if I'm not tuned in, they will take physical action 
against. Or if I try to overrule it, say, no, they're just coming in. It'll just be here for 10 minutes. They're going to leave. Like, just, they'll be like, no, no, that, that energy, that person, you know, sometimes they'll show me he has an entity attached to his leg that has to go or he can't be here. Yeah. So then I have a choice like, oh, I have to all of a sudden say to this person, <laughs> you know, it, that's my choice. But if you, if you don't take care of that, we will. And we're not going to give you, nobody gets a free pass. So that's what I've learned from them is how rigorous they are because that's their space. That's where they do their work. They are masters. They do their practice every single day and they, they just won't very, very strict about what comes in and, and, but always open to it being transformed, right? It's like, they're not rejecting anybody. They're just saying the things that are coming with that person don't get to be in here. And I think a lot of animal behavior can be explained by understanding that they perceive multidimensionally where people don't. And a lot of dynamics in the herd are one horse telling another horse, hey, you got, you didn't release your emotions from that thing yesterday or what have you. And humans, we've been largely shielded from this level of context and of perspective. And when people do wake up and go on a journey, they tend to go on what is more widely accepted or there's something called ritualized phenomenology, these controlled narratives, and we can fall into that. I was asked to go work with a group of, let's call them light workers, that had been working together for two years. And the leader of the group called me and said, we feel stalled as a group and we're not sure where to go next. Will you come and and you know check in with the group energy and and see what's going on so i showed up and i just realized that three out of 25 people were managing their own energy and i just turned to the person next to me and i said what happens when you ground how are you doing with grounding oh great i go to medicine wheel ceremonies once a month and i i call on the masters and i said that's great you didn't answer my question what happens when you ground? What's going on? Well, I don't know what you mean. Can you perceive your own energy? What happens energetically when you ground? I don't know. And this is supposed to be an advanced group. This is an advanced group. And these are people that are taking money, being wow. energetic practitioners. And you can go to fancy schools in other countries to become a medium and not be self-aware at all and not know who you're getting the answers from. Mm -hmm. And somebody that's constantly saying, my guides, my guides, my guides, my guides, my guides say this, my guides say that. What about your own divine? You are not connected into your own divine wisdom. Who are all these beings giving yeah. you answers? Do you not realize they are probably getting something out of this exchange? I mean, just read The Secrets of All Ages by Manly P. Hall. And you'll understand all the things that can go wrong when you practice this type of work. And people don't take the time because they want to help. And I get that. We all want to help. Who doesn't? Who doesn't want to help another being? But if we don't help ourselves first and we don't become self-aware and we haven't navigated those murky, choppy seas, how will we ever truly be able to support others on a similar path and a lot of the answers a lot of the solutions that come through from these guides are so oversimplified as to be almost nonsensical just not helpful at all mm -hmm. not helpful at all 
Emotions aren't bad, ride the wave. How about if you follow the thread, find where the emotion came from, and you never have to experience it again, instead of riding that wave 150 times in the next two years. Yeah. The money isn't there. It's not the shiny quick fix. Not everybody is willing to invest the time it takes to truly get to the place where you are able to manage your own energy and a room full of, of energy also. That's mastery. So true. I want to jump back because you just reminded me of something that you said earlier that I was like, oh, I'd like to explore that. Um, maybe we'll just do this for our last topic before we close. But when you talked about when you have clients come in and that money carries an energy, because this is something that I really dance with the energy of money. Can you tell me what, tell us what you've perceived about money and as an energy or energies connected to money? Like, can you just brain dump on us everything that you've learned and perceived about money in the energetic realm? Well, I'm not an expert on money. What This came to me through my awareness of the relationship space between people. So before my clients, I would check the relationship space and if it's clear. And every single time my relationship space was not clear. And I thought, how can it be with every client that my relationship space is not clear? And part of it was being perceived as a healer being looked to as a savior or somebody who can heal or fix something. And then also the exchange of money can give rise to certain expectations. But an have you heard of energetic cords, energetic connections, mm -hmm. Jeannie? Yeah. So through the exchange of money, I have found that there is an energetic exchange and it's not clean. It's not clean. So that space needed to be cleaned up. Any sort of energetic attachment or entanglement in any way beyond that session would be inappropriate. But as we are exchanging money with people all day, we're unknowingly exchanging energy as well. That in my perception, when I clear my own energy, that energy is released and sent down into the earth. I think that a lot of people don't realize that if someone wants to give you money, people are like, oh, wow, awesome. No, no, <laughs> you have to look at what is the energy that's coming with the gift because that may cost you more than the money's worth. And I think I had a crash course in this early because my father was so psycho with money. Like he was just money was money symbolized so many different things to him and they were all twisted. And so I, from a very young age, I started seeing how money was just a representation or money was used as a symbol and used as it was used in way. It's just supposed to be a tool. It's supposed to be this neutral tool to, you know, make stuff happen, but it's not because it gets layered on with meaning and energies and attachments and all the rest of it. And a big part of my karmic healing with him was came recently because he offered me some money. I, I was in trying to buy the ranch that I bought um, in 2021 and I didn't have enough for the down payment. So I was talking to some friends saying, you know, who I knew could possibly be investors. And then my dad offered me the money that I was missing. And I went, hmm, I didn't say, oh my God, yes. I went, hmm. 
because what was more important than the money was the energy. And I checked in to say, is, is this possible? And what I saw was this was an opportunity for his, for karmic completion for him, for evolution. So if I could hold the container for him, that for the first time in his life, he could experience true gifting in a clean container, that that would be such a gift to him in terms of his evolution. And so I thought, okay, let's try this. But at any second down to the final day of closing, I was willing to say, nope, dad, not taking the money. I'm letting the, I'm losing the ranch. I'm letting the deal go because I knew that the cleanliness of that exchange had to be impeccable for this money to actually be what it was supposed to be, which was a, a karmic completion in our relationship and, a, and an evolution for him as a soul. And so that was the approach that I took. And he, it was amazing because he, he did, he was able to hold it all the way through to completion. And afterwards the joy, it, and I, and I said to my husband, I said, he has never experienced the joy of giving before because he's never been able to give clean. And so it was, it was such a blessing to witness that healing and that, that move into joy and freedom for him. Now, of course he couldn't hold it across, <laughs> you know, one experience isn't enough to counter, you know, 80 years of toxicity, but he did get that experience and he, he was able to live in that reality for that exchange. And it was a beautiful thing. So yeah, I, I totally am right there with you on the money as an energy. And so you do a clearance with every client when that money, it's part of the energetic clearing that you do around the space, right? Yes. And I'm not saying that the people themselves have any intent consciously whatsoever, but it's on earth, it's almost implied within our money exchange system. It's just an energy that exists until it doesn't anymore. And as long as it exists, I'm going to clear it out of my space. So, yeah. Yeah, I hear you. Well, thank you so much, Ginny, for your time and for your openness and your honesty. I really appreciate your willingness to just answer every question I've thrown at you. You're welcome. It's been fun. Totally unexpected. Do you want to give us a quick rundown of what, because you've talked about a lot of things. You've talked about human sessions and animal sessions. So could you just let everybody know the different things that you have on offer, the ways that they can work with you and where to find those things? Sure. I work as an intuitive for people and animals. I primarily work with people, especially who have a lot of unresolved trauma, but it's not necessarily for the beginner. So when I work with someone, I will let them know based on all of my experience, what different modalities are available to them and give them options and let them know swing back around in six months or a year after you try some other things. Working with animals is something that I'm very passionate about. And of course I have my new podcast, which is interspecies evolution. I have, a I'm going to jump in and say that Ginny's podcast is fantastic. I've been listening to episode. I've been working my way through your entire lineup 
and highly, highly recommended. It's so good, Jeannie. Thank you for that gifting. Thank you. I enjoyed interviewing you. And then heartofthehorse.us is my primary website for services. And I offer courses. You mentioned that, oh, I work multidimensionally. And you know, it's, it's true, but where my passion is, is working with people on a beginning of their journey or where they've become certified in some healing modality, but they need to be more self-aware or be more energetically self-aware and develop good practices. I've worked with so many people, massage therapists, osteopaths, energy practitioners, people who studied shamanism, who have a significant amount of pain in their body because they're taking on their client's energy and they don't understand that. So I teach classes in self-awareness, energetic self-awareness, classes for practitioners to share how I set up my space. And I'm in fact, even working with your horses with a class this year, they're going to be supporting those body workers, practitioners who are learning how to establish healthy boundaries in an energetic or therapeutic environment. Brilliant. Thank you, Ginny, so much. And so just so people are aware, so Ginny offers the courses and workshops, and she also offers private sessions. So everything you can reach at heartofthehorse.us. From there, you can get to every piece, including the podcast. Thanks again, Ginny, for joining us today. Bye-bye. The information provided in this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional, medical, psychiatric, or veterinary advice. Our conversations are based on our life's experiences. We intend this podcast to be complimentary and supportive. It is not intended to be a substitute for traditional, medical, psychiatric, or veterinary care. If you need a doctor, a psychiatrist, or a veterinarian, please contact one immediately.